Welcome to the Startup Microdose podcast with me, Ed Stevens, and my able co-host, Oliver Jones. This conversation is with Andy Watson. Andy was one of the early employees at Spotify. In his five years at the company, he helped launch it into the UK, US, and Singapore, and saw the company grow from just a handful of early users to over 50 million in 2014. After Spotify and a trip to Burning Man, he launched airport app Flyo, before stepping back from his executive role there to start Sherpa in 2017. Sherpa is a door-to-door delivery and concierge service for sports equipment partnered with the likes of Ironman, Rafa and the British Heart Foundation. Andy's a load of fun and shares some excellent practical advice. So without further ado, we bring you Andy Watson. All right, today we are joined by Andy Watson. Andy, thanks for coming in. Thank you, thanks for having me. Back back to your old haunt. Yes, that's true, yeah. Spent spent a little bit of time here, a year maybe. Yeah, was that a year ago? Or? No, it was two years ago for a year. Um, we were one of the first uh, I think startups yeah, coming right, to inter- for, for the travel side of the business. Right. Um, we were one of the first startups coming here with uh, Lucky Trip. Okay, so in that first cohort, because uh, David was explaining a few weeks ago, David Hickson, that Actually, Founders actually feels like it's been around for ages, but actually it hasn't. In terms of the, the cohort, it was, what, 2016 they had their first intake? I can't yeah, remember. I think we were 2017. 2017, yeah. 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 Um, and then we were in the previous office, and then now coming in today, it's slightly different. Just around the road, isn't it? Yeah, it's just down the road. And it, yeah, oh, so not in this daily mail building? Yeah, not quite, it's not wasn't quite as glamorous, was it? Definitely not. It was like a bunker. Missed it. Missed it. Anyway, right, so today you're here to talk about your latest venture, Sherpa. But before we get onto that, there's quite a lot of exciting things to go through. With your experience at Spotify, because you were, I think I'm right in saying you launched it in the UK to begin with? No, so I didn't personally launched it. I mean, he'd have to put faith in a 21, 22 year old to launch something like that. (laughs) But no, so I, yeah, it was uh, was a pretty, pretty cool story, actually. Um, So I was one of the first 2030 at Spotify, um, there was six of us outside of Sweden. And actually it came about, I finished university, uh, I didn't really do a, a great degree actually. I think I just drank a lot and uh, <laughs> played football. Yeah. And um, I did media production, so really it wasn't much, but you can really call it a course. Anyway, I came out and joined Virgin Radio. So at the time it was going through the transition to Absolute Radio and I was just an account planner. Sure. So nothing uh, truly exciting and actually, what happened was uh, my boss, a friend of mine called Neil, was going to this company called Spotify and he was like, well, what, what's, what's that? And obviously nothing had been launched. Uh, and all of a sudden everyone got a back road in, in the office and they got banned in the office because everyone had their headphones on. Um, right. I was just listening to Spotify. And he was going there. I said, mate, Neil, come on. You can get me a job here, right? You can do it, can't you? And uh, I was 22 at the time and had obviously no idea what was going to happen for the next five or six years of, of my life and also in the development of Spotify itself. And, and that's really how the role came about. So when I started in the UK, yeah, there was six of us and I was doing pretty much most things really that a 22 year old would, would do and would want to do as well. But it also gave me a lot of exposure really early on into, um, uh, into management yeah dealing with the management and also the hierarchy the ceo and and everyone had access to everybody yeah and that was always a theme through spotify actually that the doors were always open no matter 
you know what level you're on uh, and then that grew out to about 50 and then I left to go to the US to do a similar role yeah so there was well, I'm trying to think now six or eight of us maybe in the US and it grew extremely quick mm. yeah, um, I so I was out there for five or six months before we'd launched uh, and we were trying to you know the, the record labels the deals with the record labels the marketing was set up the tech was being developed you know be onboarding people um, and we were doing the partnerships and bringing in bringing in the cash for the launch essentially and then obviously everything just exploded from yeah. there um, what did it look like at that stage yeah exactly, I just, exactly what I was going to say I, I'm so well acquainted with it now but it's so it funny so when different. you yeah it's so funny when you speak to people and somebody last night was saying oh my god you 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 know you know the founder of Spotify and and oh you were there at the you know, it's monstrous and it'd be like speaking to somebody that was there at the start of Facebook and knew Mark Zuckerberg for example yeah. and you don't see it like that because mm. you were just in there and a part of this this roller coaster at the time and genuinely I had no idea that it was going to go the way it went yeah. because there was bumps in the road as as with all startups but think of it was actually a massive office so we were in the meatpacking district in the google building mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. so they rented us out a floor and it was just a dead empty floor there was eight of us in there and it could hold i don't know 200 people maybe maybe a little bit less and then the seats started getting filled and filled and filled and there was new roles being developed and there was huge amounts of money in the company mm -hmm. and, and it just really kind of exploded from there and you know the us was prepared for spotify to arrive but they had obviously had pandora over there for a long period of time so there was always a comparison mm -hmm. how are you going to do against pandora and pandora was just a radio functionality that you would type in an artist and it would give you a radio playlist based on based on that artist essentially mm. um so you wouldn't be able to select songs the way you did in spotify and then there was an integration with facebook and that's really where it started kicking off. And I don't know if you remember you sharing remember? playlists. Yeah. yeah. Well, you would, it would on the right hand yeah. side, it would tell you what people what were listening your, to. Your lame mates were listening yeah, to. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. And that was really where, okay, right, this is, you know, this company is now extremely serious. And it just really rolled from there. And then I was there for three years maybe in the US and then I moved to Asia. Um, Were you doing the same playbook each time in terms of this launch strategy? Yeah. Or, or did, it, did it change um, for each territory? It changed a lot for each territory because of just the nature of the markets, essentially. I mean, dealing with the US versus Taiwan is two yeah. completely different things and all of Southeast Asia. So from a cultural point of view, business is done differently. And, you know, a lot of startups want to go out to the US, but, you know, think, oh, it's because we all speak English, it's exactly the same market and how mm. many startups fail and then have to pull out. You know, it's a different way of working out there, let alone moving to Southeast Asia. So I moved to Singapore. The ex-head of Facebook was, she was leading it, a uh, really great lady. And a lot of the deals with the labels had already been done, but it was get on the ground, go to these new markets, launch these new markets in Southeast Asia. Mm -hmm. And then, and, and what was great is I got to travel yeah. as much as possible. Mid-twenties. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Mid-twenties, yeah. It was the perfect time in my life. Mid-twenties, single, just, you know, just, it couldn't have gone. It couldn't have been the perfect time to do it. Yeah, you bastard. Yeah. You bastard. <laughs> uh, and, yeah, and then subsequently I left after maybe five or six years of being there. I moved back to the US and, and you know, things had just changed. You know, there was nothing that was going to be better than, than what it was during the earlier years where yeah. you jump between is effectively like creating a startup within a startup but with unlimited budgets which yes. is just unheard of yeah. so it wasn't realistic yeah um but it's uh, it was a really good learning experience and still in contact with those guys too but presumably when you decided to leave you were passing up 
the the identity, the, the status of being one of the early early members, yeah. early mm. employees, to go and do something new. And even though you you, like, you you clearly like the the early growth phases, like surely that must have been a difficult decision. Um, no, I, I, it wasn't a difficult decision. I think it was sad to leave. Um, but you know, I looked around and realised that it's not going to get any better than than what's just happened over the last five years. Mm. You know, I essentially through my twenties, where you learn and develop a lot as a person, mm. and also in your career, couldn't have had anything better. And that really helped me with the other startups that I've done to really, you know, get in the doors. Because as soon as you say Spotify, people just want to talk to you about that first off. Yeah. Um, case in point. Yeah, 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 case in point. Here we are. Apologies, yeah. yeah. Um, and yeah, the amount of investors that want to talk about it. And when you, you know, it's an instant engagement. And it's not to use that as a tool, but, but we were actually part of that, that journey. And every single person in that company, from the first, second, third person, all the way through to... 100 200 people you know in through a different phase on life in spotify made a difference to that company Mm -hmm. um and daniel always used to say it's 98 percent ideas and uh, sorry 98 percent people and and and, and two percent ideas yeah Yeah, 98 percent ideas that'd be a bit harsh wouldn't it he just walks around reassuring you all it's just the quality of his idea yeah yeah but But again you know he's great as well but it's such is the impact that's had on so many people's lives i mean on the tube hundreds of people per day get through their their tube journey by having spotify in their ears and it's so i can see why people feel so passionately towards you having been part of that could i unpick the the cold and cultural behind the scenes like are these companies that sound great to work for fun to work for do you, you know you always hear about a spotify south by southwest party like does does the lifestyle include these aspects amongst yeah. the hard work definitely a hundred percent and we probably had it better at the you know during the growth phase because it was so exciting and there was so much to celebrate and it was encouraged to celebrate as well you mm. know i'm not talking going out and splashing loads of money because you've just done a deal it was you know we were working extremely extremely hard and upping and moving our lives as well you know it wasn't just me that moved around there was uh, a chap from sweden who um uh, called oscar um who, who who i moved over to the us with and we didn't know each other we'd never been to america we mm-hmm. just moved there i'd never been to singapore i just moved there yeah. you know so you up and move your life so it's absolutely encouraged you know you have the usual stuff the ping pong tables the playstations mm. people end up getting their own table tennis bats you know, mm. it starts getting serious in the office you know <laughs> you know, i spent a lot of time playing table tennis yeah. you know so but you know it was just the culture was instilled that we were all part of this together and it wasn't I'm the CEO or I'm the boss and you know it's going to filter down now naturally through anything that grows that fast there will be bumps in the road and mm-hmm. you can't you can't mitigate against that that's that's just naturally what happens but um it was yeah it was a hell of a lot of fun and we were enc- like I said we were encouraged to have fun as well at the same time mm-hmm. were, were all the problems are sort of frustrating lawsuits <coughs> from licensing deals type type stuff or was it a bit more complicated than that um I can't really talk about the the, the, you know, the legalities behind it because I wasn't really involved too much in that um but you just if you think from an outset and go all of a sudden you're you know, a hundred people, but you go to a thousand people in a year. Mm, yeah. You know, and the growth of the company is still continuing to go from strength to strength to strength. And at the end of the day, if you look at Spotify, they took on Apple and succeeded in beating Apple. And you know, how many people can say that they've that they've done that? Mm. And that's interesting when you speak to investors now, and they go, "Oh well, are you? Do you have any competitors?" 
you know, or do you are you first mover in the market? And we're saying, yeah, we're first mover in the market. There's no competitors. Okay, well now I'm interested. But okay, so hold on a second. There are companies out there that have taken on these other companies mm. and and succeeded. Now Spotify is an anomaly; doesn't happen very often. Mm. But um, and that was just sheer determination from from the two guys at the top. There um, had a great ideas. They had great backgrounds. Um, and you know, like I said, it wasn't it wasn't all 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 easy, and the record labels did push back a lot. In, but they come through it now. Yeah, in the early stages, was was the biggest challenge getting the the record labels on board, or was it the users? Because presumably, it's, it's sort of the marketplace chicken and egg scenario. You want you need the users to record attract labels. the record labels, but it's you got record it. labels definitely. Um, and you know, rightly so, they were they were also nervous about Spotify. You mm. know, what's this little green? icon that's come along and, and and wants to take all my music and give it to everybody for free yeah i mean would you not be shitting yourself yeah. i think i would as yeah, well yeah. user growth there was never a problem right there was never a problem it's um, just great content everyone knows the content is great I yeah mean, you think you think that the word of mouth i remember there was a, um, a spot on the bbc news and this was really early days and um our head of uh i think our head of licensing went on 10 minute spot breakfast news and it, the user growth just went through the roof. Very I mean, good. through the roof. Um, and so it was never a problem because you would always talk about Spotify to your friends and go, hold on, free music legally, yeah. 30, 40 million songs for free. <laughs> yeah. uh, are you kidding me? Even in 10, even 10 pounds a month. I mean, it's, yeah. it's outrageous. And now it's a, it's a platform. Can you live without out Spotify? Right. You know, if you created three, four playlists, do you want to delete it and move to another platform? Yeah. You probably don't want to do that, you know. And yes, Apple Music came along, bought Beats and so on and so forth. And, and in my opinion, their product wasn't good at the beginning. I think it's got better now. But by that time, it's too late to the party, mm. really. I mean, they can activate however many credit cards they've they've got on file sure. but mm. and phones and hardware. But, you know, I mean, it's everyone likes the underdog as well. Yeah. Is there still a freemium version of Spotify? Yeah. Right. So the I mean, it, version, yeah. it was just after a while. It just as soon as well, as soon as, yeah, it was like as, soon as money, you it was just obvious that yeah. I would spend. 10 I think the offline month. mode changed everything for for, yes. for everybody. Yes. Yeah, ten pound a month, and you can have it offline. So I don't really listen to much online music anymore. Yeah. Actually, most of it I get it. I put it into one playlist. It goes offline. Downloads, yeah. Downloads, and it's brilliant. And now, obviously, they're moving into other audio formats such as podcasting. Yes, so. exactly. We want to talk about that. So, where do you see? Presumably, you've been you've been out of that picture for a while. But do you have any insights into what their roadmap going forward? might be i have actually no idea but the move guess. the move into podcasts is, is is a clever one i mean you look at the technology of spotify and just replace music with audit with you know mm. audio podcasts yeah it's there the platform's there um buying up the companies is clever as yeah well. you get a lot of content very quickly what did they buy they bought gimlet which is responsible for eight percent of all podcasts yeah is that what happened, that what happened yeah 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 um so super clever so just really i think you know owning that audio space and they've done it in a clever way where there's still a lot of music to master you know mm -hmm. just launched in india uh saw a stat the other day that they uh, in, in in i think it was TechCrunch or one of the others that they just got a million users in in a week but it's actually only 0.07 percent of it's, the it's of, got, a on, on, the, so got a long way to go it's got a long way to go but moving into those different markets you have to price things differently as well so course, premium yeah, versions we know are that. not 10 pounds you know they're you know two three four five pounds yeah um but for them as a company i mean the world's their oyster it is their world now audio really if, if you're looking at anybody else um, you can't envisage a competitor doing what they did to apple so to hard to unsee but then maybe maybe before they came around 
people would have said the same thing about Apple. Well, this is this is a point I was going to say. When you moved into Asia, was your first point of call to try and bring Western artists to an Asian audience, or was it to try and build local licensing relationships with, say, Korean artists to to build up that local yeah, local audience? Okay. So okay, local. Yeah, K-pop, J-pop, T-pop. And all India, India would be the same thing. They'd be trying to get local artists. Okay, absolutely. So I read, and again, don't don't quote me on it, that they didn't have Warner signed in India, but they had signed the major Indian record labels. So to get all that local content, mm. uh, which I think was really important, really really crucial uh, to them. I think there's other players in the market there. I don't know too much about it. Um, but you know, it's interesting. You look at Japan, for example, and that's not really that's one of the top five music markets in the world. Mm. But with 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 the Japanese they are used to paying for music and they still pay for music. So they'll go buy a CD, they'll go buy a vinyl. Really? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They'll go buy iTunes music. Um, <laughs> Stuck in the 80s. I mean, I get buying a vinyl, like I listen to Spotify, but I will still occasionally buy a vinyl because I, I really want that record. I want to listen to it yeah. in that way. Mm. But now I, buying a, paying on something on iTunes, it just... It sounds, yeah, it's, 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 a, it's now a foreign language because of, of Spotify. Yeah. Spotify's timing was impeccable. Because you had the likes of LimeWire, Kazar, and all these, yeah. all these illegal shit. Not that any of us ever use them, obviously. Yeah. But um, <laughs> yeah. you know, these, yeah, Utorrents, obviously, no one uses that. And it was just, it was just, it was just so perfectly timed. And and the people behind it, the people in the business, it was just, it was, it was just so well done. I mm. love, I love LimeWire. The the upside was a free song. The downside was infecting your computer with yeah. viruses and with forever. everything yeah with everything <laughs> possible and, and you get the whole cocktail of um, yeah. computer SDIs yeah 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 what about for for upcoming artists do you see is it a disadvantage now that this sort of all-encompassing platform exists I don't believe so um, the artists themselves might say so yeah um, but that's more because of how much money they make but because actually the discoverability on Spotify yep. is great. Like I discovered, mm. I've never. How else would I discover? I'll tell you what changed the game was Discover Weekly. Yeah, yeah, brilliant. That, that playlist oh, just drops and it drops every week, and you go, "What? Yes, that? oh, that's a great yeah. new song. Never heard of that artist." Yeah. Then you just you can get yourself into a little black hole in Spotify yeah. where you end up on page sixty-seven at some artist yeah. that is just recorded in it, a shed. But it never it's feels like Wikipedia. It's like when you go on a Wikipedia bender and you're like, <laughs> "Yeah, but but both of those are in. good benders to go on." You know, if you go down a YouTube hole, you. you can end up just finding a lot of nothing whereas both in wikipedia and spotify if you continue to find great music that that song can stay with you for life that could be your favorite song for the next year it's great it's yeah so yeah i mean it's it's that for me changed that for me personally changed the game mm. because i actually found with spotify it was difficult to find new music because there's such an extensive library is where do you start yeah so you know have the browse functionality mm. then have discover weekly that's dropped in there you can get some dodgy songs on do on discover Certainly weekly can. i mean i say we get some dodgy songs but my spotify plays in the office at the moment so <laughs> if someone starts using it and i get spice girls on my next one i'm like what was going on there honestly it wasn't me honestly <laughs> Yeah, I think it's just, I mean, I guess the question is, is can you live without it? And the answer is no. Absolutely not. Yeah, amazing. And and so from then you, you stepped out of Spotify. Did you take some time for yourself before you went to launch your next company or just straight um, into it? I actually, I took three or four months off and then I went to Burning Man. Mm. Nice. And um, people say you have inspirational moments at Burning Man. I can tell you I didn't have any inspirational <laughs> moments when I was at Burning Man, but I did when I was in the airport at Burning Man and uh, the story out, out of Burning outside, Man. yeah, yeah, and as in on the way out, yeah, yeah. Salt Lake, yeah, yeah, yeah Salt Lake. So on the way back, I was flying back to New York. I was, I was a touch hungover, and um, I, I was sat next to my friend Shane. I was like, Shane, oh, man, I really fancy 
like a Snickers or something like this. And I was thinking, do you know what would be really good actually if I could have a double Snickers? I can have one in the airport, I'll have one in the uh, one on the aeroplane. He's like, yeah, that's a good idea. Good idea. <laughs> I was like, okay, cool. So I, I, I walked back through the airport to find like a what we would call a WH Smith. It's a Hudson over there. Yeah. I, was, I was walking past and, and I was like looking around. I was like, okay, cool. Here we go. Got him. Turned back around again. Came back 10, 10 minutes walk and he sat there and he's eating one. I'm like, where did you get that from? He's like, oh, it's just around the corner there. And, I, and that's when I had a light bulb moment and went, why is there nothing that can tell me, no matter what airport I land in, that I can get access and if I wanted, hypothetically, to have a Snickers or yeah. chocolate bar, um, could I type it in and tell me where it is in the airport? And that's really where the, the, the start of this idea uh, of, of, of the first business uh, came from. So I came back, I moved back to, back, back to London from New York and um, fully, fully snickered fully snickered yeah. Yeah, you can't go wrong with snickers no, you can't you? You especially can't. a snickers ice cream I mean I had a Mars bar the other day when was the last time you had one of them or Mars bar ice cream or Mars bar just Mars bar oh, I don't remember yeah, it's not the same chocolate quantity anymore really pretty annoyed actually I was the ratio's less the ratio's less yeah I was not impressed hard times we live in <laughs> too much nougat <laughs> so um, yeah so I moved back to London and pitched the idea to a VC and the VC turned around and went yeah okay this is a cool idea I like it um, but you should also speak to this other chap he's also starting something similar so we got put in contact and, and subsequently that's where Flyo um, came from mm -hmm. that, that one app for every airport solution that's still ongoing um, and what happens is is you land in a any airport you get hints and tips about the airport you get deals and discounts at duty-free and Starbucks and and all these kind of concessionaries that are in the airport mm -hmm. you get flight times you can upload your boarding passes so if you landed in Sydney Mumbai Newcastle Birmingham mm. San Francisco it would be the same solution right. um, and that's really yeah that's really kind of where that came from but I was traveling through so many airports at Spotify that when I had that live one, I was like, why didn't I think of this earlier? And it seems like something obvious because you just don't download airport apps. No, yeah. So would the user's data carry between airports? So if they're like, here's Andy landing in Newcastle Airport, he likes his Snickers. <laughs> anchoring for a Snicker. Yeah, yeah. You, you can get told about it. And, and subsequently, because the one thing I've noticed about a few startups tackling the duty-free industry is a completely unique ring-fenced environment where there's you know, a high volume of consumer spend and downtime. People are open to messages of push notifications about mm -hmm. deals in a way that they're not in their everyday life. So, I mean, how did you sort of start to unearth that behavior and see how? Well, that's exactly it. So what we did to begin with was ring fence the airport. So when you're approaching the airport, we'd push you a notification that would be, hey, we know you're approaching terminal T2 and Heathrow. Um, by the way, you get 20% off at duty free. Mm. So that with that increased levels of spend, and that's what we wanted to do because the airports technically were, were you know, are, and I think a lot of, High, essentially they're a shopping center yeah mm -hmm. oh yeah right. so you've got high you got high dwell times there two three hours a time unless you're the real super business traveler that mm. knows exactly what he gets he gets first class all the way through you know but um we'll buy something at the airport yeah people who go there prime to spend money yeah exactly because because you've got nothing else to do well yeah. and your holiday by definition is a is a series of expenditures so you tack it onto this sort <clears> of good time i'm not going to hold myself back exactly exactly that so um yeah, so so the idea was was to prov to speak to the concessionaries and actually provide um, discounts to increase spend at the airport. Um, because if you think about it, you know, would you want to buy some Calvin Klein perfume, for example, uh, at the airport, or just buy on Amazon and get it the next day? So that was the challenge, and is the challenge I think for the airports, and is also the challenge for the high to uh, high street retail as well. Yeah, yeah. 
And so you, at the point where you you just moved on from that, or you said you you're going to go on to your your next challenge, which I guess is actually still not that divorced from from sort of tackling these challenges, which is Sherpa. Yeah. Um, so yeah, can you explain firstly what what that is? So Sherpa is is essentially a door to door solution for transporting sports equipment. So the idea is is if you're a cyclist or a golfer or skier, instead of you having to carry it to the airport pay for the flight, carry it on the other side, on the return journey, do the same thing. We would just come to your door, pick it up and deliver it straight to the hotel for the same price as an airline. So when you arrive at the hotel, your sports equipment's already there. So essentially we position it as a kind of a stress and hassle-free solution. Um, We live in a world of convenience right now. Um, So delivery Uber, these guys, you know, so it it seemed like an obvious thing to do. and, And it came about, a couple of things I'd seen a business in the US doing it just for golf clubs and it was it was huge and still is very big out there uh, my brother's a British Airways pilot mm-hmm. so he said the amount of times we're stuck at the gate and we have to offload bike boxes and then we have to offload the person and we have to get luggage on and and and, and you know from Ryanair recently increased luggage costs as well yeah you know the airlines make a lot of money from their their ancillary revenue in fact most of their money from the ancillary revenue and um and that's really kind of where it came from i am a golfer i think i'm a golfer mm. um I lose my be, temper you've, got, you've got a lot of time left to be a golfer <laughs> <laughs> yeah i lose my temper on the golf course that's for sure my mates will can testify to that but you know and even even carrying my golf clubs on the tube to a golf course mm. it really is a mission now couple that with luggage yeah and and your journey just starts as a pain in the arse yeah a sweaty pain in the arse very sweaty yeah. pain in the arse yeah, <laughs> yeah. well because there's, there's, there's affordability for something just because and a lot of people um, in you know we raise money for faction skis some of our people in our office bought themselves faction skis they've saved money from the continuous rental but every single time they have to pack them and they have to take them with them and that that does dampen the experience somewhat especially you know when you have to, to carry them end to end, it's like it's, it's miserable, and then pay more for the airlines yeah. to potentially ruin them when Lose transit. Them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, a lot of actually in France now, a lot of the taxi companies are not accepting bikes anymore in their taxis because they just take up so much space. These things are huge, mm-hmm. um, and it's only going to get tighter with the airlines. I believe it's only going to get tighter for the airlines. So that's technically who we're competing against. And you mean because they're getting squeezed on margin more? Um, or just it's, it, it's 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 just it's a space issue as well. I mean, look at it. You know, you, on on EasyJet, you have that little cage at the at the checkout where you've got to make sure you put your bag or else you get charged for at Ryanair. Yeah. They've hiked up prices again. Monarch Airlines were the only one that actually offered free sports equipment, you know, a carriage. Mm. They're no longer around. I'm sure that didn't that wasn't the reason <laughs> why. But you know, it's when you look at when you look at it, you look at. Um, you, know, you look at EasyJet, Ryanair. Uh, I read something the other day about one of the airlines had made 1.7 billion in ancillary revenues in a year. Weesh. Now that's pretty impressive. Upselling insurance, upselling car rental, all that stuff there. So, so you know, do these companies, do these airlines want to focus on getting people, or do they want us to take care of the the big bulky stuff that they don't want to take? The more of those bikes that are on an airline, the heavier it is. The mm. higher fuel burn, the higher cost. Interesting. And, and it's a crazy assertion because you think because somebody's got a bike that somehow they have the means to get to where they're going to do their competition because you think, well, you, it's a mode of transport in itself. But of course, people aren't cycling down to Brighton so they can compete and then cycle, do the Brighton, wherever it is. Uh, they need a transport solution. Yeah, um, exactly that. And, and this year we're working. So we've been around for about a year and a half now. And um, so not a particularly long time from a, from a standstill. And we partnered with the British Heart Foundation. And uh, so, so for their London to Brighton 
uh, event. Now you get fifteen to eighteen thousand mm. people turn up. They cycle the race. Fifteen thousand to eighteen thousand people, people can get back, but they're not allowed to take their bikes on the train. So all of a sudden you're stuck in Brighton. Now, if imagine if you were this from Newcastle or somewhere, and you got to come down, you got to come then, you got to drive to Brighton, you got to drive back, and yeah. even in London, you know, we don't have cars in London, or the majority, vast majority of people don't mm. have cars. So how are you going to get your bike back? Now that's where we come in and, and where they're at the finish line, we'll collect the bikes and we'll bring them back to Clapham where they started because they can get on the train to Clapham Junction, collect yeah. the bike and, 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 and carry on. So it's a really simple, easy solution, that side of the business in, 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 in events. We're doing point to point. Look, we're not a VR, a drone, an AI business it's not sexy but we are we make money it's a sort of old school logistics business but with all the like it's the simplicity of it yeah um and that's where with investors and and with our customers they get it they get it straight away so really just imagine sending a parcel but you're sending your golf clubs and you're sending your skis so the experience is literally i type in my my bike and where i need to get it to and you have a destination do you have a pickup point like a bus or do you come to me as the it's the door to door. Door to door, sorry. Yeah, it's door to door, yeah. yeah. So, so it's so, better than a parcel. You don't have to go to the post office. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's literally a, so we work, how we do it, we were never going to build a logistics network. There'd be no point in us taking one vehicle and, you know, 10 bikes to Germany and back. It just is a waste of money. It's not mm -hmm. going to happen. So we partner with UPS, FedEx, DPD and get significant discounts. On, because because on, of the volume? Because of the volumes. Does, yeah. that, does that scale? Yeah, that scales, yeah. Um, our non-exec director is the ex-managing director of UPS Europe. How did you find him? LinkedIn. Really? Genuinely yeah. just, actually I was sat in here in, in, in this Founders Factory office and um, I linked in probably, you know, two, three, four people in UPS and they all got back to me. Right. Um, cool. And I, I did open with the line, the Spotify line, which everybody wants to talk about. Yeah. But, you know, it, it, it and, and everyone came back and said, yep, great idea, really like it. Can we have a quick chat? So I talked to them and I said, look, you know, I'm looking for somebody that can help me plug gaps that I'm not good at, which is logistics. I had no idea about logistics, came from music and, and airports. Mm -hmm. And but, um, So, so you, you were like, I have this idea. You've got the, the blueprint out. How incapable of delivering on that did you feel initially when you first started it? Were you just like, there are a lot of gaps that are prohibitive to this? Or did you feel you could stumble your way through, but it'd be easier with the advisors? Yeah, I think I think it's really important. I think it's, um, you know, at Flyo, um, um, the chairman was XBAA. So to, it's really important, I think, for startups to get somebody on board that can, I'm not talking about a consultant, I'm not talking about a CFO, I'm, not, I'm talking about somebody that can um, really help you at, at a high level of where you're not good. So mm. I believe that I could do the idea, but look, you know, give away some equity and get somebody on board that has the contacts, has the nous, has, if we have any troubles with any of these guys, he can pick up the phone because he used to employ them all. Yeah. So yeah. everybody pointed me in the direction of this, of, of, of this guy, Steve. And, um, and then I had a chat with him and, and he'd retired and thought, wow. yeah, you know, this is a pretty, this is a pretty good idea. I think we've got some legs in this. And what's amazing with the logistics industry is that you're dealing with, you know, um, uh, chaps from Yorkshire, Birmingham, you know, in general, and just really nice, humble guys that, and they were, you know, they were so helpful, mm -hmm. these, these people. And don't get me wrong, that doesn't always happen. Yeah. Um, but I believe, and I think it's really important to get somebody on board quickly that can unlock something that is core to your business. Yeah. Mm. How did you intensify that? So you mentioned equity. Did you have a, like a, 
a ballpark figure of equity in mind, coupled with how much time you expected from that? How did you go about working that out? You don't have to say um, the exact. Um, yeah, well, so we, we did it over a three, four year period and he just started as an advisor, mm-hmm. essentially. And, and we, we, you know, we had five to 10 bullet points of what we expected of that, that yeah. advisory role and the amount of time he would give us per per month, you know, a day a month top. Sometimes we don't use him for two months. Sometimes we use him for three or four days a month. Right. It, it really depends. And we will be using him for the, the big logistics we've yeah, got yeah. because we've got to shift some vehicles and yeah. some bikes so and that equity was vested over the four years yeah 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. But and, and and you build the story on the back of him i've noticed that when we've been working together that he adds a lot of credibility to people who do worry that the founder doesn't have all the definitely sorted yeah and every investor should be asking that question as well you know it, there's one thing spotting an opportunity in the market and going for it but you, there's another thing actually understanding the market as well you could have the best idea in the world but you can't get to the right people as you said 98 percent idea yeah, there you go. 98% idea, idea. Yeah, remind yeah. them that it's yeah. a, a two percent execution Damn. that's why he's, um and and where did the because where did the ideology break down from the reality like what was the were the gritty issues that you actually faced because in theory you go here's a much better transport solution we could pick up at your door and and in a perfect world it gets taken to exactly its destination yeah. that's the technical solution yeah. the reality what what are the things that really go wrong when you're dealing with just sort of people um uh, well i think there's two things i mean customers well, we love our customers and, 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 and what we find is they come back again and again because they have a great experience. They're like, look, this makes perfect sense. But also we can't sit there and go, nothing's ever going to go wrong. Mm. It goes wrong on EasyJet, it goes on wrong on Ryanair, British Airways, on all airlines. Mm. Things get lost, things turn up on Gumtree, you know, three weeks later, golf clubs. <laughs> it's happened, it really? happens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, 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 but how, how, how so? What, do people just take it and decide to... Yeah, pretty, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there was a recently a European. I think Google it. There was a European tour golfer, and she um, her clubs were lost, and they turned up on Craigslist in Canada. I think really? sale. Yeah, yeah. So you can, uh, if you ever lose something, just check out the eBay in the yeah. area. And do you find that via the tracking codes and anything embedded on the, the golf clubs or something like that? Or? Um, I don't know how she found that. I have no idea. I think well, maybe they were being mar- up. They were being marketed as so and so as well. Pro Tour golf yeah, yeah. clubs. With us, what we try to do is, 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 you know, it's been a learning experience. And when you're dealing with logistics carriers and, 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 and these couriers, it's a, um, for me, it was foreign, mm. you know, and you expect as soon as that lands in the hand of the driver. So we can do everything. We can do everything so well. We've got the platform, we've got the tech, we've got the prices, you know, our margins are huge. Um, but once it steps in the hand of that courier, let's be honest, anything can happen. Mm. Now, We've done, we did four and a half, five thousand items in our first year. Um, we had a few hiccups with a couple of them, mm. but they all managed to get to, they all got to the destination in the end. If they don't get there, we rent the set of clubs, we rent the skis for the customer, and lo and behold, it'll turn up probably at some point. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we can't sit there and say, actually, you know, nothing's ever going to go wrong. But what we try to do is we try to mitigate those issues by picking things up uh, way earlier than they should be. Mm. Set of skis, take that as an example. You can't ski here in the UK unless you go to Milton Keynes Snowdome. Mm. Um, but so, you know, if you're not using them, our customers are like, yeah, pick them up two weeks before, just get them to the hotel. So when they get there and they get to the hotel, they're there sat waiting for them. And they're like genius. That's a really good idea, isn't it? Because actually taking them at the, within that small transit window is where where all the problems will happen. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, we have to, again, we put things in place. We use different couriers for different areas. Even if it's the same country, if depending on the city, we'll use a different courier for a different city. Um, uh, and some are better than others. For example, DPDR, a French company. So we use them a lot for France. Mm. UPS have their own network. So no matter where you go, Chile, 
you know, Canada, Alaska, London, it will be a UPS van. DPD outsource a lot of what they do as well. It's been quite fascinating learning about what they do and, and, and how they do it. And actually, if you think about how many millions and millions of packages that go through their system per day, how they keep all of that under control is just, yeah. it's incredible actually. And, you know, anybody in logistics and who's starting a tech logistics company, um, is starting any kind of platform or, or even in, you know, actual with drivers, go and sit with a UPS driver for a day or two and do what they do because it's not easy. Mm. You know, they're under time constraints. They're, you know, they don't really care sometimes who they give it to. Some yeah. are great. You get some great drivers. One in our office, he's brilliant. He comes up for a cup of tea sometimes. Um, and, but it, it's, I, I think that when you start to do these things, you've got to get in the mindset of, of, of one of these drivers because then you can understand problems before they arise. Yeah. And, and that's been crucial as well and, and, and we encourage that in the company. Company too, especially in their busy time during Christmas. Yeah. So, um, Presumably the in with you with UPS was easy because you had the, the advisor on, on the team. But approaching DPD and the others, how did you go about doing that? Was that through the UPS link and they all sort of know each other? Or was Spotify. It, was it? Is it, is it, is it <laughs> I'm going to get Was it Spotify, LinkedIn? No, no. Um, it was, um, they all compete against each other. Yeah. So when you work with FedEx, DPD want your business. When you work with DPD, UPS want your business. Yeah. And it kind of goes around in circles like that. We've been really fortunate with UPS to get in at a really good level. We have some great account managers and, and ones that really push for us as well because they've seen the success and the continued success in the US. And actually believing in startups, if you look at these 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 career companies, they're, they're you know, they're vans, mm, bricks yeah. and mortar vans, yeah. deliver, point to point, done. It's not about tech. Yes, they can create some interesting tech, but they could create a lot more interesting tech. You know, there's some really, if somebody can come into that market and, and, and really start building some serious algorithms, um, you take their APIs, for example, they're not, it's not super great tech, to be honest with you. Mm. Um, but it's functional and that's what they, that's, that's what they need. Um, so yeah, so you can, we just approach them and just said, look, we've got deals with FedEx, we've got deals, and you essentially get an account manager for a specific area. Um, um, and you can say, well, this is the rate I have with this company. Can you better it? And then you can go to the other one and say, and so I hope none of these guys are listening to this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but so you just replicate the heads of terms agreement and then sort of... But they have all their, they all have their contracts. But you just say okay. to them, you know, I, I've got this rate to this country and sometimes I can better it, sometimes they can't. Sometimes they can better domestic versus international and country to country. Yeah. Some are better in terms of DPD. They give you two hour time slots. There's, a, there's an app and you can change the address. So you as a customer can control what you do with yeah. your shipment. You know, but again, everything's tracked, everything's tracking number, we have tracking systems in place, we have backends in place, solutions, you know, all that sort of stuff in place. But, you know, where I believe that we we are winning at the moment is for our customer service as well. I don't know if you've ever tried to call a UPS or DPD customer service mm -hmm. representative. I'm sure a lot of listeners have done and it's just read off a script. Yeah. You can't do anything about that. Yeah. So how do we take that pain point away from you as well? Now, you can't scale a business with having you know uh, yes you could do it with your own customer service team but you can't pander to everybody's needs there has to be a set rule book in terms of what you can and can't say if you have the margins which we do then we can afford to be a little bit more flexible with the customer 
And actually, that goes a huge, it's a long, long way. So be customer obsessed, customer obsessed, customer obsessed. Mm, you're not the only person who said that. Um, yeah. Julian Hearn from Huel was, was adamant that customer success was just that they pay them very well, the customer service managers, because he sees it so important. Yeah. We've got we've got a great team. Um, one girl in particular, and she's just you know she's kind of leading it, um, uh, Cheyenne, and she's just she's brilliant, you know. And actually, for me, she's the most important person in the company. What um, is the nature of it? Because um, like for instance, Monzo do it really well because you can go in app and you can open up Monzo app and have chat, you know, which is like a, it's a really good experience um, rather if than if you're lonely. <laughs> yeah, if you just <laughs> go and have a chat. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, it's, it's, but it's so good because it's it's quite immediate and and it's through your mobile phone yeah. and it feels very sort of native. Um, Sometimes calling people up can, it's actually a confusing transfer of information when actually what you need is is like quite concise. Yeah. And sometimes the, the calling process get frustrated. So do you do a call center approach or do you have an in-app web yeah we've chat. got um yeah we've got web-based chat um and you'll actually get a real person behind that as well it's when i get lonely AI. yeah <laughs> for when you get lonely yeah you can by all means come on the site <laughs> um you might end up just chatting to me though <laughs> um so you know we um you know we don't have an ai enabled bot or anything on there just yet mm. um I, I i actually those things piss me off a lot it actually yeah. makes me dislike the company mm. um so we will always have a human behind it that that is interacting and yeah of course we have some set things we need to say but that's just a time thing because yes. you know there's only so many orders that one customer service person can actually take we then have a phone so you can give us a call and you'll get a real person behind it however we can only relay as much information as we can as mm. we get from our couriers so there can be frustration from customers point of view to go well you know why can't you tell me this bit of information and it's actually our hands are tied does that mean that you then have to phone up uh, yeah UPS or whoever it is, not so that it would be UPS. Yeah, it's slightly different. We have a direct line into a person, the red telephone. And into, yeah, and, in, and into yeah. In, into a call center in. Uh, well, actually, I think their call centers in Philippines. Right. Uh, UPS, but yeah, we go direct in, and we have account managers that work with us, and okay. and so on and so forth. And if, like I said, if we because that would be just a, a comedy of Chinese whisper errors. <laughs> yeah, and it's amazing who you. Sometimes we, when when we were doing it in the beginning, we'd have to speak to the customer service agents, and and we get four different messages from four different customer service. Oh, Oh yeah, it's there. Or no, it's not there. Yeah, it's there. And it's no sign. Oh, You're just sort of tearing your hair out because it's there's so many moving parts. It's so easy for us, you know, acquiring customers, getting them into the funnel, book it, bam, you know, four guys. And when it works, it's beautiful. When it works perfectly, it gets there early. And and you know, we have a small percentage, you know, 0.9 percent that, right. that 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 has a form of issue. And when I mean a form of issue, that could be, you know, the, the, yeah, mm -hmm. the, yeah, the package wasn't ready, the bike wasn't packed by the customer, mm. or you know, there's a day delay, for example. Yeah. Um, but there's never really been anything drastic, and and that's the way we want to try to keep it. Well, you're building on the experience as well because you're making custom um, carrying boxes and items, so you're kind of venturing into the space of improving this further. One, it'd be good to hear about those. And two, do you anticipate moving into being able to track those boxes that you produce to give people like a sort of IoT tracking mechanism of those specific items? Yeah, yeah, actually, um, the, interesting actually, because we want to provide a tracker for, for, for everybody's yeah. box, but the couriers actually don't allow it. Um, so even though it might flow through their systems and go to their main warehouse in Birmingham or wherever it is, they refuse to have the trackers. The is that tra data privacy? They've just given us a no-no, and it, it's you have to fill out DPD are a little bit more lenient, and we filled out the paperwork to be able to get the trackers on board there. Mm. Um, you know, to find out. Oh, let's say for example, a box goes missing for a day. You know, where is it? You know, there's a lot 
of different bits and pieces behind behind this. But in terms of actual just standard packaging, yeah, we sell uh, bike boxes. We made three bike boxes, types of bike boxes last year. We sell them into retailers, which again was a whole new space for us really. Um, we did it to um, provide people with bike boxes that didn't have bike boxes. So the two initial levels for shipping but inside there's all protective foam and, and all these bits and pieces that will protect your equipment. And then we found a gap in the market to push, you know, some bike boxes are extremely expensive out there, you know, 200, uh, sorry, you know, five, 600 pounds and ours is 200 pounds and smaller and lighter. And it's a really interesting industry, the cycling industry, because it's continuously growing and it's a 40, mm. $44 billion industry cycling and golf is on the decline, but a lot of those golfers are now switched to cycling. If you think about golf, you've got to spend five or six hours out of your day. Mm. You've got to get there. You've got to play a round of golf. It's 18 holes. I think in America, they're now doing six, 12, and 18 holes. Which was for me, by the time I'm at 12 holes, I'm, let's get a beer in or let's, or, you know, we can call it a day. Mm. Um, with cyclists, they can go out. You're getting some really good physical exercise. You can do it for an hour and you can pop back again. Mm. Um, it's also um, the clientele as well, those that cycle, ski and ski golf and, and golf cycle as well. So we see a lot of repeat bookings through these, but they're extremely passionate about what they do and propensity to spend is... Is that, that, a, re no is that, is that a recent thing? Cycling. Just, well, this sort of the whole fitness, cycling, triathlon. <laughs> I mean, these guys that do Ironmans. Yeah. We, we work with Ironman and these, these guys that do it are just crazy. But when did oh, Ironman it's start? Another, it's another level. I think Ironman's been around yeah, it's been for a while. Right. I mean, and you, to also for the listeners, you've got partnership with Rafa, don't you? So to talk about the bikes, so I think we've we've often referenced bicycles. Um, we're talking like some people with really high end fifteen hundred, twenty five hundred pound bikes, which we'll keep going north, north, ten thousand, twenty thousand pound bikes. bikes. Yeah, really? yeah, we've transported. 15 20,000 pound bikes yeah and you can literally lift them up with your finger i mean these are this as light as this glass here i mean it's what are they for flying i don't really know i mean i wouldn't want to be coming last if i had a bike that was that expensive <laughs> i want an excuse for for not being at the front of the peloton yeah <laughs> but you know these it's a hobby and it's a passion for 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 people and rafa i mean what an incredible we work closely with rafa actually we have a, a subscription partnership with those guys where we offer their members um, um set prices for for x amount per month and um you know that's a brand that is if we look at it from the outset it's got a piece of pink on it mm. and the piece of pink there signifies that you've got a rafa brand it is slick don't get me wrong it, it's really nice but you it, it's a high-end audience um, they're passionate about what they do there's opportunities for these people to participate in events with sections of the tour de france so you know and and i think it, again it's the camaraderie you can't play football anymore when you're you know, I'm sure I play football now and I'm 32, you know, <laughs> so can I take something else up and can I be amongst that and have the team spirit? And, yeah. you know, and it, and it is a... And have a bit more longevity about it, so mm. cycling and some of those other pursuits. Like a lot of people do triathlons, start doing it in their late 30s, early 40s. And they keep doing it to yeah. 70 of mm. triathlon, but certainly cycling. And, and so with that, that sort of in really engaged community, how did you get your early growth? Like, was um, there a, was there a strategy there? Was it did you go B to B to C or was it B to C? Yeah, we at the very very beginning, if we take the first three months, I mean, we did minimal amount of marketing. We still don't do particularly that much. We wanted to see if there was a demand for what we did before we started pouring money into it and yeah. raising more money again. Um, and then off the back of that, it was really to really get to the partners. 
and get them and utilize their databases. So you know? like Ironman. Yeah, like Golf Breaks, Rafa, Ironman. British Art Foundation. Yeah, okay. all these people. And the big events we work with as well, Golf Breaks is the you know huge golf tour operator, one of the, one of the biggest in the UK, um, in, in Europe, sorry. You know, get to their half a million golfers and how do we do that for, for free, essentially, or with a commission deal in place. So punch mm -hmm. us out to the database, get in the eyeballs of everyone here. To get to 500,000 golfers is gonna cost you a lot of money in your acquisition model. Um, and then really we just built some data off the back of that and then we started, you can very easily work out, you know, your, your LTV and your CAC and, yeah. and then you can start turning the screws from there. Um, but the most important thing, I think where, you know, we came in here and we weren't trying to fill a problem that was not a problem. Um, we saw a gap in the market and albeit a smaller niche, you know, it's not like it's music where everyone's listening to it. Mm -hmm. It's a, you know, I look at it in two ways or, or two or three ways. Um, one first one is is and looking at it from an investor's point of view i invest in a couple of companies as well and i always look for what's the team like these guys got passion for it which is what most investors do mm -hmm. two um is it is it a hot topic or is it a market on the rise and cycling is yeah um and three can it go globally and how when you do that and you scale it globally how much money you're gonna have to pump into that for us when we go global we could be global from the uk because there's a UPS van on every single corner mm. of, of this of this world. Uh, or if it's not a UPS, it's a FedEx, it's a DHL, it's a DPD. So for us, we could just turn that on at any at any point. Um, we want to do it properly because I think it's a mistake and it's a mistake for startups to to start jumping into other countries super, super quick. Um, you know, get the focus, execute on some really big, in our case, big events, big partners, cement yourself as, as where you are, then look at other markets, you know, um, that has for us, high cycling participation, which is Germany, Belgium, yeah. Spain, you know, uh, Italy, France, even as well. US? Yeah. US is the big one. Yeah, yeah US is, is the big one. Uh, and that's, we've got our eye on that with this round of funding that we're doing now. Uh, yeah, what's, what's your um, move going to be in that, like, in terms of building the model horizontally, can you focus on Sherpa brings you travel insurance for your items? Can you build warehouses so when you're delivering all these goods early, you can just send them to the Sherpa warehouses near key locations and then, you know. Yeah, I mean, we already sell insurance during the booking process. We have deals in place with insurers. Mm -hmm. um, and do you make a marginal referral fee of that? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and um, the thing is, we're insuring personal items and not items that are sold, which is quite different, actually. And a lot of couriers don't allow that insurance, but some do. Um, but in terms of the warehouses in other countries, you know, for us, there's no need to do that mm, because just we just utilize the already existing logistics network that's yeah. there that already have the infrastructure. You know, we unless all of a sudden we were doing, you know, a million packages to Spain per per year then of course but it's never going to happen hmm. uh, so why not just let's just piggyback off of what's already there and and we're really just a marketplace and, and, and an aggregator to, to to buy and sell rates uh you are tackling the airline industry and a lot of people are sort of trying to reduce their carbon footprint and stuff though do you have any um desire eventually to sort of use electric transportation when you can do do goods or, or work with couriers who provide that kind of service yeah. to sort of further improve the credentials well, ups do they do. Yeah, 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 I yeah, yeah. yeah. That. They're, they're, yeah, they're quite forward on that. You can see it in London. It's in London, in particular, in city, mainstream cities. Oh, cool. Um, yeah, they're all, all pretty much electric, especially mm. within the congestion charges here in, in London zones one, two, and three. Uh, I can't speak about the others because I've not actually. I've seen FedEx ones as well. Uh, I can't speak about DPD. Um, our own vehicles. We only have one vehicle because there's no point in us having assets that yeah, are just sat there. But yeah, our boxes are fully recyclable as well. So yeah, we definitely have an eye an eye on that. Because um, the logistics industry presumably has the carbon footprint 
from everything involved with that must be absolutely extraordinary. Espe- I mean, especially the the airline um, transit. Mm. And so uh, you would, you would expect, given the whole thing about climate change and the end of the world, that like there's gonna they're gonna have to foot the bill or or really work to to change that. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure they are doing that right now. I mean, yeah. like I said, you know, UPS, yeah. I have got the electric vehicles. Mm. Um, you know, what you've, what is, um, if you think about packages that are moved on a daily basis, they're in cardboard. So it's a hell of a lot of recycling to do. Yeah. Um, and can all of it be recycled? Um, can they move to something else in terms of just, I'm talking, this is basic, basic stuff, packaging. Yeah. Um, but, and how do you do that for, I don't know, you know, five million packages a day that go through Manhattan? Yeah. Um, you know, it's and insane, actually, isn't and it? actually, fundamentally, these it's not a UPS or or a courier or carriers packaging; it's a customers packaging. So it's a wider problem. It's not just with the logistics carriers. It's about That's you as a business and a SME, for example, that need to actually take that sort of stuff into consideration uh, when you're doing that if that's really the way that they want to go instead of going oh don't worry about it it's just a box I'm just going to put it through yeah. put it through the system it doesn't matter because it's going to get to the, the, the customer I've sold it to they can deal with it yeah I had um, a note down here that said to Ollie I wouldn't bring in too early but for a future vision for Sherpa like can you move into the event sponsorship space the uh, Red Bull playbook of being like enabling sort of events and sponsoring them and, and bringing that kind of experience to your to your users is that ev- in a sort of distant roadmap at all yeah definitely and i think you know there's no reason why we can't put on some events ourselves yeah. and do all the logistics for it and have this whole package um well, it's what, like a double win then if you create your own event that you then supply the logistics if it was like a cycle around the middle of where burning man is and the only way to get there is sherpa takes all your stuff then <laughs> I'd, I'd end up in the middle of burning man probably yeah. if i ended up doing that um i think um you know, for us, the the way we want to position ourselves, and this year we're really working on our branding. And and our, first of all, if we look at the stages of a startup, first of all, it was proving the demand. Hmm. Secondly, getting revenue. You know, can we build both of those together in the fir- in the third phase and and get enough data to go right? Well, if we switch this on, this is what's going to happen. Now, when you do that, you also need to create a and don't ever, you know, the the guys at Lucky Trip, for example, great app, fantastic branding, and they've built their business. I believe on the on this great product, great branding, perfect to their target audience, and and that's got them to where they are. For us, it's about you know really taking uh, the stigma away from logistics mm. and going you know don't forget about that brown UPS van that's going to turn up at your doorstep. Come with Sherpa, we're the professionals, we understand it, and create what you want to do. We'll we'll take all that shit away from you. Yeah, yeah. You go and enjoy. Think of the backflip you're going to do on the ski slopes. Think of the sporting event that you're going to win. Think of the golf course, the beautiful golf course, and the beers with your mates afterwards. We'll do the shit part for you. Yeah. So when that lands in your golf clubs, get to that golf course. You can just roll up. It's on the first tee. We've had some cases where in the more high-end golf clubs where the clubs have actually been put in the person's room. So when they get there, mm. opens the door and their golf clubs there. And what a service that is. Yeah. Um, for anybody. So yeah. for us, it's really about building that brand. And 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 you know Red Bull were the classics in in what they did. I mean they're an energy drink, mm. but they you know they do some great stuff obviously, and we all know what they do. Um, but You've got an F one team. You've got an F one team. I mean who goes from an energy drink? Oh, we'll never have an F one team. I'd love to. <laughs> Don't say never. But, but you know you 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 look at you look at um, uh, Spotify as well. It's just you can create some great content off that. And we have a platform where we're in sports. So no matter what happens, you can get some great content. You can film some great content. You can resell that content. You can become a media player if you really wanted to, you mm. know. But for us, it's really, right now, it's, the focus is to, is, is to cement, our, cement ourselves for the next two, three years in what we do and what we do well. 
whilst creating that branding and that message to go, don't forget about that stuff. We'll relieve the stress and hassle from you. We'll take it here. And during that period of time, don't show a van, show someone doing a backflip on a a snowboard. And that's what we want to be. So you basically want to really prove the concept, just show growth, growth, growth for your like core strategy. Yeah. Then presumably raise a big round and become Red Bull. (laughs) (laughs) You make it sound so easy. Um, I wish, I wish that was the reality, right? But you know, this is, this is, you know, you can read in, in all of these tech magazines and you know, you only ever hear of the successes. Mm. You hear of Spotify raising 500 million, a billion, Uber raising a billion, you know, Slack IPOing, Lyft IPOing. What you never hear about is the reality. And the reality is, is how many startups fail on a daily basis? How many startups fail because of founder fallouts? How many startups fail because they don't get the funding, even though they've got a great business? You know, a solid, solid business idea. But because you're not from X background or you're not, you know, you haven't done X in the past or, you know, you don't have an AI VR platform, which is moving forward, you know, I met a guy the other day and um, um, through your network, actually, sorry, one of your investors, and, and he built and sold a very successful business on selling board games. You know, okay, so it's not, you know, it's not, I'm not going to create an app or anything, but, but, but you know, this guy made a lot of money mm. from doing it and mm. um, fair play to him. So it doesn't, you know, I think it's really important for, for founders to, to come into the real world a little bit sometimes and realize that, you know, if anybody ever tells you that it's easy doing this, then they've obviously never done a startup full stop. Yeah. yeah. And, um, you know, the reality is it's difficult to raise money. Yeah. It's difficult. No matter, you can have the best idea, but I guarantee if you talk to some of these other bigger companies, look at the Airbnb story, the amount of rejections they got, and yeah. they publicly put those emails and letters out. And the money probably went to someone that's at the business has failed. Yeah. So you know, and I'd really like to see a little bit more of that in in some of in some of these magazines. To, to yeah, it's to, my it's my pet peeve about all these like blog posts which pretend to be like how to succeed in the in the startups in the tech space. Bullshit. And they just like it just discounts any survivorship bias. Yeah. It's just mm. like people just forget about that and think, oh, this person did it, so I can do it if I do exactly what they did. Well, no, because there's, there are so many variables at play that- Absolutely. Every day it, it, as, as, a, as a founder, you go through so many emotions in, in one day. You'll walk in and you'll get a great email from investors. They're like, bang, you're gonna invest yeah. in Great, oh, that's awesome. And then the other guy you'd relied on, you know, his, his, his money's pulled and then you lose a deal and then you get a new deal and then you get a staff issue. And, and, and it just, you go through five or six emotions in one day. Yeah. Yeah. And and you know when you have a co-founder, that's very easy to easy to deal with. But there's a great book out there called The Hard Thing About Hard Things. Uh, uh, is it Ben Horowitz? I think. Yeah. yeah. Um, and he just tells it straight. And he's like, "Look, this is shit. Uh, I had to fire a thousand people, and um, and he he had this software business, and then in the dot com boom, and then the recession happened, so he had to fire someone like seven hundred fifty thousand people. But that's it as well. Is people think that they just downsize and it doesn't take any toll on your your well being. It's like I think. Actually, Jason Cohen did a talk recently and he said he had two incidents where he fired one person, he had to get a restraining order, he fired another person who committed suicide Wow! from their company. And it's like, Jesus. that is about as real and gritty as, as it gets, you're kind of playing with, with people's lives. But it's it, you don't just let go of five or 10 staff and think, oh, well, at least I've saved my bottom line. It's not mm. just about money for the founder, you're building something of people you trust and are coming on your journey. It's, well, this is the thing and it's in its, and I'm sure for any of founder listening to this, they will realize how difficult it is to, one, obviously start your business, two, to employ people and employ the right people. And everybody says, 
oh, it's, uh, you know, you can, yeah, it's about employing the right people. But how do you know who the right person is? So you can go in, in into an interview, interview that one person, and they just crush the interview. And you go, wow, that's a real talent. Three months down the line, after their probation, they just turn into somebody you'd never even knew they were. Yeah. And then they disrupt everybody. And especially when you're in a team of five, ten people, it has an effect on absolutely everybody. Um, and it's so difficult to say, oh, you need to hire the right people. Well, of course mm. you need to hire the right people. And you need them all to get together and follow that journey that you want to. Fundamentally, you will always care the most. Yes. Because it's your business, it's your head, and there's pressures around you as well. You've got investors asking you questions. So when things are good, it's good. When things are bad, then comes the pressure. You've got staff, because they, they get a sense. They know when it's good and it's bad. Um, I, uh, I guess it's when the culture that you were talking about, Spotify, becomes important, because that culture, collective culture, can actually shape those people so they, they're not the finished article when they come in and maybe think oh god was I right to employ that person but if the coach is right then hopefully the sort of the pressure of the group dynamic pushes that direction in a way that's beneficial for them but also beneficial for the collective yeah absolutely it's belief and it's, install it's installing that belief into people that what you're doing is the right thing it's going to be shitty on the way mm -hmm. there's no such thing as a really nice curvature of growth it's a mess mm. on the way up and you yeah. hope that you get to the top at the very very top and how many do and how many don't it's well even difference. when you do a lot of these venture-backed startups <clears throat> externally grow their user bases to an enormous volumes because it, that's the channel that's being exploited and then the downside of that is the infrastructure doesn't keep up so yeah. often what looks like amazing growth and is, is sort of skyrockets it you, you can't go from 100 to a thousand employees in a year and have the infrastructure put in place to handle that right. all the confusion it's just exactly things things go wrong and things will always go wrong and you know even when you go from five you know two people to ten people it's a big it's a big difference and it presents itself different challenges um you know and you, you don't have to do big extravagant things with 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 the team to do you know to make them feel happy and make them feel special it's just mm. you know what's what's 30 40 quid on a lunch you know, yeah. it was 50 quid in a lunch, you know, yeah. as long as you're bringing in revenue. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, you know, what's last night we had a team dinner and yeah, it was 200 quid. But yeah. it's about, it's important to get everybody together when a new start happens, celebrate the new starter happening, instill in them that, that, you know, this is not just a job for you. This is, this is something, a career. And I guess it's easier for me to say because I had that opportunity when I was at Spotify. So people, people look to that in the team and go, well, actually this guy, he did get the opportunity to go and help launch Spotify in all these markets and had and had this in his 20s. And I tried to instill that belief to them that, you know, the world is, yes, you're doing this one role at the moment, but as we grow, you can move into whatever you want to do if you're a good enough employee. You know, there's... And you'll help them to do that if you can. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. yeah, yeah. And you've got to help do them or you'll lose them. You'll, yeah. lose, you'll lose the good people because they'll go into a different role, there'll be more money. And actually, for some of these, for some people, it's about yes, you've got to you pay the right amount. That that that's so to what you can do as a business. But give them, I'll give everybody everybody equity. Yeah, doesn't matter whether you're the you know you're you're in customer service. Doesn't matter whether you're in here for a year or two years. You know you will get equity in it. It doesn't have to be loads, but it's enough to make them feel and, and feel special and feel part of the journey that you're on. Yeah. So, I don't believe in. You should only give it to your C level, your management team, and and some of your directors. It's not it's not what it should be. I think David Hickson said the same thing. Mm. Yeah. How about how do you deal with the sort of the personal ups and downs as a as a founder? Yeah, I mean, we touched upon it briefly. I think it's it's you know, so I don't have a co-founder. So slightly slightly different. Now the way we structured the business is we've got great investors, you know, some like Spotify uh, bosses that are also friends so they can always help and I can always turn to these people too. Um I try to structure my life in um you know there's there's one thing that I, that i do some advisory work for we work and the we work labs 
and um, you see startups in there all different levels raising money not raising money have raised loads of money a concept stage and it's frightening some of these valuations these people kids are putting on mm. I say kids mm. you know but they're, they're and and with no experience I'm like how did you do that yeah, yeah. Um, sheer hedonism yeah it's mad and forget valuations it's not where you're gonna make your money right at the, at the initial phase so um, you know it's 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 i always say you just enjoy enjoy your life as well at the same time yeah. because you know my dad had a heart attack last year he's fine now he's back up and running and there's been a few blips on the road but that really kind of made me stand up and go do you know what i'm i'm i'm, I'm obsessed with my work because it's a passion for me mm. um but on the weekends i take my laptop home i'll look at my i'll never i'll rarely reply to an email on the weekend i'll i'll switch my phone off in some cases yeah. on sundays sunday afternoons I, I, I try to do that especially when the football's on yeah. but you know just to give myself some headspace and go for you know go for a walk um i try to regularly exercise two three times four times a week crossfit that is crucial mm. to crucial you doing it i've just started i've oh, actually yeah. got a class after this oh yeah yeah, yeah. great whereabouts uh Wandsworth, where i live okay nice yeah. yeah um and that's pretty hardcore stuff oh i did it once and i couldn't move for about yeah, four days yeah. but you know i i and, and we talked about it briefly you know i have suffered in the past and and it's really the, probably the first time i've talked about it publicly uh, mental health and david hickson you know he touched upon it and i was one of the guys he touched upon without mm. naming anybody and you know, this all came about when I was when I was at Spotify and in when I was in in New York, and I took two months off work at Spotify. So, looking back at the earlier start of this podcast, you know, it all sounds all all, all good, and you got to travel the world, Andy, and all this sort of stuff. And and actually, I had a bit of a yeah, a bit of a breakdown, I think, I guess you'd call it, and big anxiety attacks, panic attacks. Do you um, know what? It, do you know why? Um, it just came out of nowhere, really. Yeah. I remember I was on holiday, and it happened, and it just came out and I was with uh, my friend Oscar and it just happened out of the blue and we were in um, Dominican Republic I think and was that just to, to relax because sometimes I find that that's when everything comes to to light is you're working at you know 70 80 hours a week and then you stop and you realize mm. how much you've neglected other aspects of your life and you, you just fill your life with intensity yeah and, and you run out of energy um, we're doing that sometimes. I think it was probably such a high moving to New York, launching, helping to launch Spotify, and then all of a sudden, three months later, I take on and boom, it came came down. But you know, I'm fine now. I'm mm. fine now. Um, so what you said now is that part of a routine that you insist on maintaining to maintain your yeah, well-being. Yeah, I know what works for me and what doesn't work for me. Um, what I should do, what I shouldn't, what I shouldn't do, and I think you start to have to start readjusting your life a little bit. Now this doesn't affect my work in, yeah. in, in any way. My work is, it drives me forward. And yeah. I think, you know, for any, again, any founders listening to this, that there is, it needs to be talked about at the, at the top level. Um, and I don't think it's talked about enough at the top level. You know, you hear of employees that, you know, have, uh, you know, suffer from stress, anxiety, and I fully, fully sympathize with that because I've, I've had it with the anxiety in particular, where it's, where it's, I've not been capable of even stepping out my front door mm. um, and had to stay in bed for a month. Um, you know, not being able to go on holidays because I can't face getting on an airplane, for example. And it's just, it's really, really, it can be, and it is crippling. Now, you couple that with uh, trying to run a business, trying to grow a business, um, trying to um, uh, run a team um, and having all that ex that internal and external stress and pressure on you. Now, even if everything's going really well, there's still a pressure there because mm -hmm. you always want the next thing. You always want to drive things forward, hyper growth, and you want to you know you want to take it. Why don't I get that deal? Why don't I do that? But fundamentally, you've got to look after yourself. And if you don't look after yourself, things will start to happen that you will look back on and you will regret. 
you know, you're in your 20s and your 30s, enjoy life, mm. you know, because it can be taken away from you at any point. And I saw that with my dad. And when that happened, my dad, it was, uh, you know, it was that click moment. I went, wow, okay, I really need to just, you know, do my work and grow this to what we have. And we've done incredibly well for the first year and a half. We've done a lot and we will continue to do a lot. But as you as a person, and especially again, as a CEO and founder, it's not talked about as much because there's so much worry from oh will that investor invest in me if i have a mental health problem mental health is in x percentage of people 50 percent. i guarantee you it's in 50 60 percent of founders well when it assumes that it's not something that can be um configured or improved upon it's not it's not like a permanent it's like blight it's like a set of circumstances where as you say now if you incorporate particularly getting away from screen time not answering emails it's like you will improve i think over the course of a certain period of time locked into a certain habit you know put somebody in solitary confinement for long enough their mind will break it's like a circumstance well, i mean thing. as as david said everyone has mental health it's in the same right. way we all have yeah. health it's it's not like it's a condition that, that everyone has and everyone has to manage it in their own ways yeah. but i think your point about the sort of the industry attitude towards it i think within the startup community i think people are opening up and like, thanks to people like you and david talking about it um, and there's some great companies as well, Sanctus. Unmind. Unmind, yeah. yeah. yeah I've just invested in a, uh, a mental health startup actually right. called Jesse, and they're coming, they'll be launching soon. Oh, and cool, cool. These guys are, they're, they're doing some really, really interesting stuff actually. Um, but, I just, and I, but I just wonder also on the investor side, which is the point you made, like whether there's, because some of the investors are maybe more old school, they're a bit more uh, machismo, whether there's like yeah. know, mental health, not a thing, it's this millennial sort of fluffiness that I can tell you it is not, I mean, it's not a fluffiness thing. Yeah. And I say that from the bottom of my heart because I've seen it in other people. Um, David Hickson, he talked about it very openly. Yeah. Um, I hope I'm not the first person as a CEO and a founder to, to openly talk about something like this. We talk a lot about um, diversity in the workplace. So we talk about female founders versus male founders, female employees versus male employees. Um, and I fully get that and fully support it. I was with somebody last night and she's doing incredibly well, really inspirational lady. But what is not talked about is the mental health in the workplace. Mm -hmm. So why are we not talking about something like this? And I'm, I'm not saying it because it's a hot topic at the moment. I'm saying this is reality. Mm. You know, people are suffering, you know, and, and, and it needs to come to the front. And I would love to after this, um, or after Sherpa at some point is create something for founders and CEOs X and present to be able to come together and to talk about it as well you know what are the we all experience the same pressures at, at, yeah. at, at that level and yeah. it's not segregating anybody else whether it's sea level whatever it is yeah come and talk about it and be open about it because we can all share the things that has that have happened to us good and really bad and really dark you know and, yeah, and yeah. it should be opened up so when TechCrunch disrupt is on stage why are we not talking about it yeah you know we put so much emphasis on on everything else which by the way is also an issue with 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 equality and diversity in the in, in the workplace why are we not talking about mental health yeah and suffering alone is is the hardest thing i mean yeah. i don't know if it's completely analogous to say the same thing about grief but like when you grieve with someone it's 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 not a pleasurable experience because you're grieving grieving but it's like it's utterly human it's it's kind of it's better than just being on your own and grieving yeah well there's what something about latin it's america cathar gets, cathartic so about it exactly we're now in a situation where you work and you're productive all the time you should be like if you're a top performer it's like you need to be productive then you have a moment of grief somebody passes away you aren't, you know, in other countries, you might be given three days to take time to grieve and, and relieve yourself or go, go through the motions of that process. Here, you could be straight back at the coalface the next day, making your yeah. excuses as to why you missed that, that meeting at 10 a.m., moving on with your life, barely even, you know, 
barely even recognising that your dad had a heart attack because you're so up to your eyeballs and your to-do list that it just is another yeah. worry. It's That's no way to keep a sustainable attitude towards this. this no, and if you're in a culture like that at work, step out of it immediately because it's not going to get any better. Yeah. Um, you know, if that ever happens in, in our workplace, then take as much time as you need off. And actually when I was at Spotify, they told me take as much time off as you need. And they were so good about it. And that was, really but nice. that, and that, and that was, that was, way before i'm talking 2013 before any of this mental health issues were even talked about and now we're talking about them a bit more but you know what i want to see is 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 in TechCrunch and in these mag in in, in these online um uh, in these articles on stage at this tech crunch disrupt on stage at you know you may have started whatever it is talking about this issue yeah and actually realizing that you know generally i'd like to see some percentages around it the people that are founders how they are dealing with it and then versus actually how many people versus the general public are, are, are having these things because by the way 30 40 percent of people have mental health so it's, mm. it's out there we're just not talking about it yeah well i think elon musk has famously got to his breaking points i think there's been times where he's recanted tales of you know crying and sobbing at, at tesla's floor and stuff like that so we think he's showing you that there is again there is a breaking point um, yeah. and he's very high profile so i mean yeah we're not robots we're humans at the end of the day and you know when the, when the going is good in in the startup and the investments in and you're growing and nicely it's good but at that point anything can yeah. change at any point and i think also from an investment an investor and then a vc from from their point of view it should be it should be looked at the pressures that are put on, and I know they're, 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 it's money into a startup, but there has to be some recognition about, you know, at the end of the day, we're all human, mm. you know, and I can sit here and have a conversation with you. Um, and why can't, as VCs and as startups, we connect with each other as well? Why can't that be? Why it doesn't have to be just, you know, founders to founders talking about it? Why are founders and VCs not talking about yeah. it as well in a positive light? Do you yeah. think mechanisms for founders to get money off the table would help with some of the, the stress and mental health issues surrounding their um, growth? Sometimes they've got like life milestones you hit, you're 32, you might want a mortgage and a house and you're locked into this vision where you're paying yourself maybe 30 grand a year for mm. you know, until you get your return. Do you think work could be done there to help people uh, do secondary share sales so they can yeah, get some... definitely. You, like I said, you've got to live. Yeah. You can't, you know, we're we're in our prime, 20s, 30s, you know, we're exploring life, we're exploring relationships, we're exploring mm. family, you know, I'm just about to get a dog, God help me, uh-huh. you know, so I'm exploring, you've got, you got to live your, your life because you only get one shot at it. Mm. And, you know, yes, there should be, so you should pay yourself, um, you know, in relative to what's happening with the business, in relative to the investment, I'm not talking six figures, I'm talking <laughs> enough for you to, to live on and be happy with and to be comfortable and you know uh, able to do the job well yeah absolutely i mean look we make sacrifices i didn't pay myself for the first year when i was at sherpa yeah so i made the sacrifice but it was my choice to make the sacrifice not anyone else's choice so that was for me to do it um and then slowly as the investment starts and then you know you go round around i'm not talking ridiculous but yeah, yeah. you need to you need to go. Yeah. take a break take a holiday employ the people around you and employ the management teams that can if you go away for two weeks or a week so, when you come back is it going to be the same yeah. as when you left yeah. now if you can't find or better or better <laughs> yeah, yeah most likely be better <laughs> um if you can't find those people and it's very difficult at the, at the beginning of a startup to find those people because your budget constraint so you can't go out there and, and pay for really top ends you know yeah, cmo or mm. you know partnerships director or, yeah. or, or ops director um and give them what their market value deserves them to have you substitute that for shares and equity obviously to get passionate people on but slowly as time goes on you'll get better and better and better people in and around that 
Yeah. Unless you strike yourself lucky and you've got a good co-founder that's launched and started another business. But yeah. it's difficult and trying to find, you know, what can you do as well that you wouldn't have to hire somebody that is a, you know, a CCO, for example, which is essentially what I do anyway. It's something that, yeah, as you say, hopefully as people continue to speak out about it, it just continues to improve. Yeah. So we like to do a series of uh, kind of quick fire questions yeah. um, where first is a prediction for the future from you. So uh, whatever that might be. What I would like to see. So maybe mental health or you know, whatever. Yeah, yeah no, I'd, I'd, I'd like to see that come to the fore in 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 startups and in, in technology as well and, and find helping millennials in particular. In fact, pre-millennials, you know, the, the kids of the days have tools that doesn't um, put you uh, into a certain bucket of you've got mental health, so you've got a problem. Yeah. Um, and to addressing those stigmas and really helping people come out. We live in a world now that is so much pressure of especially with kids instagram yeah, facebook nuts. snapchat and it's just you hear about suicides that are happening so yeah. helping people and taking away the stigma that you have to sit in front of somebody but finding other tools that are that going to help that okay next one actually you covered one book that uh, you read that you think is useful mm. but any other recommendations on your that was my favorite one because okay. it was just to the point told the truth said it's shit, it gets better, it gets really shit, and then it gets really better. <laughs> and I think there's too many books out there about what you should do, what you shouldn't do, but unless you've been in it, it's very, very hard to predict what's in front of you. So find the reality and the worst case scenarios, and then you can learn from from some of those. Mistakes. Have you read any of the, the ones by the big logistics um, companies or founders or, you know, Amazon, FedEx, anything like that. I, I, I haven't actually. Are there, are are there there I think things? there are. I feel like I've seen I've seen them by recognition of the, the covers and stuff. They sound like a, <laughs> a thrilling Sunday. <laughs> no, but again, it's underpinning how impressive the achievements of these companies yeah, behind no, the no, scenes no, actually no, no, no. are. Oh, I mean, it's I visited their warehouses yeah. and are they it's huge? Just, yeah, it's, it's outrageous. Yeah. It's outrageous. It's a well-oiled machine. Let's put it that way. Yeah, yeah it's pretty impressive. Um, last but not least, is um, the best advice you've received or given. I think the one when I was mid-twenties and I was with, uh, I spoke to, to, to the founder of Spotify and he said, there's, there's, there's two things that are gonna be the most rewarding thing in your life. One is family and one is starting your own business. Mm. So, you know, take the plunge, go for it. What's the worst that's gonna happen? You can always get a job somewhere else, um, but be realistic in, in, in terms of that and enjoy yourself. Uh, enjoy enjoy yeah. life just just just, en just enjoy it as well because like i say you know you might get one run at it you might get two or three yeah. runs at it but you'll learn every time yeah it's easier said than done enjoying life but well it's i think the, the key here as well is like the success or failure of your business is doesn't define you as a success or failure in terms of like you can be bloody good got bad luck and it doesn't mean you're yeah. not worth it you probably learn a shitload in the process that makes you highly valuable to loads of other companies yeah you improved at the rate that an mba could never dream of making you yeah i mean i didn't do much particularly university or school mm. and you know didn't do but i learned from people that were were put faith in me to do things before i knew how to do it mm. yeah and so say yes to something and then go and learn how to do it yeah that's great advice. Yeah, and if yeah, and if you muck up, it doesn't matter. Every hero in all the great stories has experiences incredible setbacks, but but comes forward yeah. triumphant and, in the end. And you have already become a success by starting your own business. That's the plunge. Taking yeah. that first step is the hardest part. So you're already a success. Yeah. Uh, and and finally, is there anything that you'd like to ask our audience? No, I hope you enjoyed it. <laughs> I think they will. I think they certainly will have. But I guess anybody who's shipping items, use Sherpa, try Sherpa. If you've got really, if you've got your ten thousand pound bike, whoever you are, 
If you're doing a, <laughs> uh, a half marathon, tri- yeah, triathlon, triathlon to get in touch with us. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Just so you heard about us on the podcast and uh, we'll give you some discount maybe. Don't everyone do it. Awesome. Brilliant. <laughs> yeah, great. Andy, it's been such fun. Thank you very much. so much, guys. Appreciate your time. If you enjoyed this or any of our other conversations, we'd love to get your feedback. Our Twitter handle is at the startup mic, M-I-C, or get us an email, oliored at startupmicrodose.com. If you're feeling particularly generous of spirit, a review on iTunes would go a long way to ensuring that we can continue to bring you these conversations. Finally, this recording could not have happened without the support of Founders Factory backed Entail. Their podcasting software and studio in the Daily Mail building, London, are as ever the unassuming stars of our show. Check out entail.co. And thank you for listening. Goodbye.